This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. Samantha Irby is the comedian and essayist behind a lot of projects you might be familiar with. There's the blog she's been writing for over a decade, Bitches Gotta Eat. If you watch the Hulu series Shrill, Sam wrote that wild and pretty beautiful pool party episode. Or you might know her from one of her four books. We are never meeting in real life, meaty, new year, same trash, and wow, no thank you. Basically, she's been hilarious, still hilarious, and she's so easy to talk to. This is what happened when I welcomed her to the show. Sam, welcome to The Rundown. Erin, thank you for having me on The Rundown. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Me too, especially since I'm feeling pretty rundown. I am... (laughs) On theme. <laughs> oh my God, y'all, please do not associate the rundown with being rundown. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm about to mess up the whole brand. No, no, no. It's okay. You you gotta be honest. You gotta live in your truth. But I just I no, just want to put that No, This is the disclaimer. problem with being like a joke person, <laughs> is like you say the joke and then people are like, no, 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 you are messing up my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> Sam Irby is from Evanston, and we're talking right before the release of her new, highly anticipated book of essays. It's called Quietly Hostile, and it's coming out tomorrow. I've been reading it for the last couple weeks, and it's just as resonant and comical as usual, but a little more unapologetic. In general, if you read Sam's writing, you know it's very candid and at times heavy. We're going to talk about some of that, but first, we're getting into the new book. It's the first book since I started working on the Sex and the City reboot. You know, lots of people were like, are you going to write about that? And then I was like, well, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So that I have some higher profile kind of stuff, not just like, you know, my tales from the grocery store. Although (laughs) there are plenty of those too. (laughs) And I think... I'm getting a little, you know, mellow is the wrong word, but like nicer, more mm. patient, more something. Like this time it it felt less like, you know, I have to get like these urgent thoughts out of my brain and more like this is what's going on, let's laugh at it. Yeah. So maybe maybe I'm getting a little bit more mellow in okay. my 43-year-old age. <laughs> well, um, I, I have been privileged to be privy to the book already. And oh I will God. say that I feel the the different vibes, but it is still equally as high quality and hilarious and real um, as, as usual. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I mean, that's my... <laughs> I was going to say that was my fear about getting older, but no, my fear of taking antidepressants was mm. like, I don't want to not be funny anymore so i'm glad <laughs> no oh we lol'd we lol'd plenty of times okay yeah, good, yeah. good um good. so 
let's let's get into some some of the stories and, and anecdotes uh, that you write about yourself going to the grocery store and, and etc. Um, <laughs> you put a lot of those in, and your writing right is just so much about yourself. Starting yeah. off with "Bitches Got to Eat" and your on stage presence over a decade ago, when you started mm-hmm. out. Um, but as humans, we evolve, as you're kind of speaking to right now. Um, Issa Rae recently said that she would have thought twice about putting some of the personal stories she told about herself in her book so early on. And I wonder if you share that sentiment at all or are you are there ever things that you wish you could walk back? No, mm. Um And uh, I mean, there are a couple of reasons. One, I don't share things like this. My philosophy going into these books or whatever, like whatever I'm writing online or for a newspaper or whatever, is like, don't put anything in it that you wouldn't be okay with being on the news, right? Because when you write a book... You just spend the rest of your life having people, like, regurgitate your words back to you. Uh And if you can't handle that or, like, it's a touchy subject, like, that will be torture. Like, for the rest (laughs) of your life, you're tortured, right? So I have a, like, interior vetting (laughs) process that happens beforehand. And number two, the second reason is even things that are, like, touchy or gross or scary so many people have like related to my openness that I'm like this is you know I don't know that it's important work but it is work that I'm doing that people are relating to and seeing themselves in I think for me a lot of my writing is about like just trying to free myself from so much shame. Mm. I'm always like so filled with shame and so embarrassed of myself. And like part of the shame is like, you know, I thought nobody else on earth had diarrhea. Not really, (laughs) but you know, they weren't having it like I was having it. And then talking about it, you find people who are like, ooh, yeah, me too. And I think that is so valuable. Like, even if I don't hear from people directly, like for someone to read something I've written and just have a tiny weight lifted from their shoulders, that's like, well, I'm going through it, but so is this idiot. So I'm okay. And like, that makes it worth it to me. That's really beautiful. And and your writing is resonant. What you just said is resonant. Um, when I was reading Quietly Hostile, I mean, you with one of the first things that struck me there in that way was when you talked about warming your sandwich um, from Panera on the seat, the passenger seat next to you. <laughs> and I was like, I be doing that. I didn't know. I mean, I know somebody else in the world does that. But like when I got seated heated seats, I was like, oh, this is a thing that I can do with my sandwich. Yes, um, in the winter, incredible. Yes. You, I mean, honestly, I felt like a scientist. <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, I have discovered something. Yeah, I was like, am I a woman in STEM? Because <laughs> look what I came up with. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's that's a small example, right, of, of what you're saying, right? But it 
it is that way and it does hit people that way. Um, and, yeah. and it's just so important. Um, yeah. So so thank you for bearing bearing uh, almost it all. <laughs> any, I mean, truly any time. <laughs> yeah. Any time. <laughs> um, your writing takes the mundane and sometimes trauma, right? Tra- traumatizing, horrible and, mm-hmm. and makes it funny. Right. Or at least puts that that lightness um, and relatability to it. I had kind of been thinking when I was when I was going back to your writing about some things I hear from comedians, other comedians and and writers, Will Smith, Tiffany Haddish. um, They've both talked about being the comic relief in their families when there was tragedy and trauma. And I wonder how you relate to that. Well, I, so I have three sisters who are uh, 15, 17, and 20 years older than I am. I don't know if I was the comic relief as much as like, everyone's waiting for me to say the snarky thing or like drop the punchline. But uh, with our sibling dynamics, it's like, you know, they just roll their eyes at me like, oh, my annoying little sister, which <laughs> is true. I'm very annoying. <laughs> so how so then how would you say that that like Samantha, who wants to get the laughs developed? Oh, my God. I think I mean, I don't want anyone to hear this in the sad way, even though it's kind of a bummer. But like I grew up super poor. Like, we had nothing. My mom was sick. I was always wearing, like, Salvation Army clothes. And I discovered early that if you beat people to the joke, you take the teeth out of the joke, Mm. right? So, like, if I'm like, huh, look at my Payless shoes. They have holes in them. Then, you know, you don't need to remind me that I have Payless shoes on because I just said it, right? Yeah. Um, And I think that became my defense mechanism early i mean also i feel like people don't say this enough i like to be liked and i want people to like me and i like to just jump right in it like we meet and already we're knee deep in each other's like muck so Mm. the easiest way to get there is just some humor, you know? Yeah. Unless unless you know the person hates something that you also hate, that's a good way to get into a <laughs> friendship. But, like, a joke, everyone wants to laugh. Everyone wants to, like, breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah. You know, like, you meet someone, and you're like, oh, what is this going to be like? And then they're great, and you're like, oh, you're great. That makes me happy. You can exhale um, and just... Relax. Yeah. 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 And I'm always just trying to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I can relate to that. It's hard to be critical when you're you're cracking up, you know, right? and I, I think I think you cracked. I think you cracked the code there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you write a lot about having IBS about yeah. having arthritis, um, taking care of your mother who had multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. What do you hope when you're writing about these hard things um, and about ability, right, and about sickness? Um, what do you hope people will take away from from your writing? 
Oh man. Okay. I have one answer that sounds good and one that maybe sounds terrible. Let's start with the terrible. It's, um, I have found it makes life a smidge easier if people already know what's going on before I got to be around them. Right. So like if you've read my writing and you know that, uh, if I go to the bathroom, it might be two minutes or 20 minutes. We don't have a, we don't have to have like an embarrassing talk where I have to explain why my autoimmune system attacks its, my cells and like gives me a hard time in the bathroom, right? Yeah. Like, this is a self-care it, thing. This is, yeah, this is really interesting. Yeah. Like we don't have to get, get into it because I already told you. Yes. Like we can get that out of the way and give yourself space to to go to the damn bathroom (laughs) yes yes so that's sort of the like not great i i put everything in to give myself an easier time in the world answer and the other thing is like it is nothing is worse than having a poop problem because no one ever talks about poop it is insane to me that it is a thing we have to do in order to be a person you have to breathe air and uh get rid of your waste yes correct and yet it's like everyone's like afraid to talk about it everyone's afraid to do it with other people around and I just feel like having it be a regular part of the conversation just like takes a little of the stigma away. Yeah. Or at least at least people know that I'm a safe person for them to to have poop problems <laughs> around. If it helps someone in a situation like that to think Sam walks into every room and says, I'm gonna see you in half an hour i'll be on the toilet <laughs> then maybe I can. yeah i mean my ultimate goal is to get a lot of pooping like on tv so like what is really out there uh because no one reads books but <laughs> what what little i can do with these books i mean i i just hope that someone out there is reading that and being like i am not alone in my suffering you mm-hmm. know like life's hard for her too I, I mean I'm always looking for um a poop conversation partner my mom <laughs> my mom is my my conversation partner right now we speak very openly volunteer Good. poop information to each other basis. but I'm like I'm like you I'm like why doesn't anyone talk about this and sometimes in the moment it's enough just to know that you're not the only one yes yeah so um, speaking of entertainment, a few years ago, you started writing for TV as well. Yeah. Uh, Shrill, Work in Progress, Sex and the City Reboot, as you mentioned, to name a few. Um, how is it different writing and telling stories for other characters, <laughs> using other characters versus telling your own stories? Well, that's such a good question. Um, the thing I like the most about TV writing, and that's the most different from my other writing, is that it's collaborative. I don't think I would ever want to write something for television alone, right? It's got to be the kind of thing you Mm. bounce off of people. Does this make sense? My stuff, I just need me and a computer, right? Like, I don't, I mean, part of the reason I write about myself is because I don't want to do any research. So it's like, it's me me and the keyboard. (laughs) 
but in writers' rooms, like everyone's talking about what should happen. And you say your idea and someone else is like, well, that's implausible because this, or Mm. they have an idea and you're like, well, would she really do that? Or would she do this? It is, it's so interesting and fun just to bounce things off of people and to know that at least whatever you do, there there was a consensus that you should do that. <laughs> and I like that reassurance because mm. I'm new to TV writing. It's a form that I have not mastered. And so I like to have some guardrails, you know, some bumpers um, to keep me from looking like a moron. And I love to... It just is so interesting to watch people's like brains work to make a thing come together. So that maybe is the biggest difference is going from this absolutely solitary practice to, hey, seven people are going to talk about whether or not what you said was funny, right? <laughs> and it's... Uh, it's humbling. Oh, okay. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like whether something you want, you think should happen would work. Because mm-hmm. like there's so much of the technical stuff that I don't know and will never learn. <laughs> but like, it's like, oh, we can't have them be there because the budget is this. It is blessedly not a one person show. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about the book, Quietly Hostile. There's a point where you tell a story about how someone you know criticized you for going to the laundromat that you recommended to her. (laughs) And you responded by saying simply, I like it. And then the conversation was over. And here you say, and I'm quoting you, a new person was born. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. felt like a shift into approaching life without apology. Tell me more about what you were wanting to say there. Well, I am a people pleaser down to the bone and I need to not be because that is an unhealthy way to be. Um, And I'm trying to stop apologizing unnecessarily, Mm. which I think, I mean, it is my reflexive knee jerk reaction when confronted literally with anything, be like, oh, I'm sorry, before I even know, Mm. you know, what I'm apologizing for. I just don't want anyone to be mad at me or you think I'm, you know, trying to hurt them. And I, and like, if you act, if you actually do something to a person, you should apologize. But since I decided to stop apologizing so much, it has sort of crystallized how often people expect an apology from you for things that you shouldn't have to apologize Mm. for. Like, I do not want to apologize for my taste in books or a shirt I'm wearing. Like, people will criticize anything and then just, like, stand there and expect for you to justify why you watched that or why you listened to that or why you went there. And it's like, man, that's a lot of wasted time telling someone who doesn't think highly of me anyway, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't, like, challenge my choices, trying to convince them that what I like is, like, good or legitimate. 
And so instead of starting to explain, <laughs> I now just say, oh, I like it. And it, <laughs> it, the response is always astounding because people really do like, you know, break out the knee pads for you to like beg for their forgiveness because you still watch Survivor. You know what I mean? Like people will be like, I do you know, like, oh hey, what'd you watch on TV last night? Oh, Real Housewives of New Jersey. And then they're like, oh, you watch that. And then they stand there and you know and they know that they are waiting for you to say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. But like for what? For watching a show someone else made, someone else paid for? Like you gotta be kidding me. And so just responding with, well, I like that. Like, what are they going to say? No, you don't. (laughs) And that truly is all I want to do is just not tell people I'm sorry when it's nothing I have to be sorry for. If there was um, an extended version of a title for this book, I feel like that would (laughs) that would be a good one. How to not say sorry for things I am not sorry for. Oh, if I mean, I would, I could write 80,000 words on all the things I've apologized Mm. for that I will never apologize for again. Yeah. (laughs) My dad, like my parents were so old when I was born. Like my dad was born in the thirties and he would always say like, sorry is for sorry people. And I was like, Oh, that is very harsh. But now as an adult, I understand (laughs) that he meant like the casual sorry. It's one thing to say, I apologize for this thing I did to you. Like, I'll say that all day, especially if I messed up. But like the quick little tossed off sorry, Mm -hmm. that is for sorry people. And I'm not a sorry person trying to be a little bit better than sorry. So (laughs) just a little. Just a tiny bit better than sorry. So I've tried to stop saying it as much as as much as I used to. Sam Irby is a comedian, TV writer, essayist, and author of four books. Sam, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a treat. Sam's most recent collection is titled Quietly Hostile, and it'll be on bookstore shelves tomorrow. There's already a wait for copies at Chicago Public Library, so if you want to borrow it, go ahead and get in line. And this Thursday, WBEZ's own Greta Johnson is hosting a conversation about the book at Mundelein Auditorium. For tickets and more info, go to wbez.org events. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown. Thank you to Ariel Van Cleve and Katie O'Connell for editing the show. Haley Bloomquist was the engineer for this episode. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. And we love hearing from you as well. Email us with your questions, thoughts, and what you want to hear on the show. I mean, obviously you just want to hear Sam Irby, but if there's more, let us know. The email address is therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Hold up. 